open your Bible to uh, the book of Exodus. <sighs> Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. Seventeen, seventeen, verse one. <laughs> that guy. Come on. Come on. That guy. We don't want to be. No matter what happens, I don't want to be guy. That guy, and I, I mentioned this last week, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention it real quick, kind of for the sake of context. For the next that guy, um, I must mention this one first. That guy that commentates during movies. Okay? But how about that guy that answers his phone in the movie theaters? And not only answers the phone, but he carries on a conversation. Don't be that guy. Look, just, just, just ease your way out of the aisle, trip down the stairs, walk out into the foyer, and talk on your phone. You know what I'm saying? That guy. Hey, what's going on? Oh, yeah, dude, I'm just totally watching the movie right now. Oh, well, it's called Up. Dude, I love those kind of movies. What are you talking about? Cartoons? No, man, this movie's sick. For like 30 seconds later, just keep going. And five minutes go on. Don't be that guy. Okay, here we go. That guy. <laughs> what the heck? I don't know who this was. That guy that gets out of his car and slams his door into the car next to him. <laughs> don't be that guy. Don't be that guy. That guy that says he's on his way, but, he, but, but you, he calls you five minutes later, and he's just getting in the shower. One more. I don't think, I, I think I have a that girl. Let me see here. Oh, my gosh. Okay. That girl that says she doesn't, want anything for Valentine's Day. But then she gets upset that she didn't get anything. All right, you there? Exodus chapter 17. Got a lot more coming. Once again, if you have a that guy, send it to me. My text message, you can text message me. If you don't got my number, ask somebody. Don't call me late at night either. That's crazy. I'm sleeping with my wife. But if you got a text message, shoot me a text. Come on, Reed. Shoot me a text message, and, uh, and, and I'll decide whether or not I want to use it. So don't be ashamed. Don't feel, don't feel discouraged if I don't use it. All right, here we go. Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. You there? We read this about a month ago, but the Lord's bringing us back. Bringing us back. Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord. Whose commandment? Who led him into the wilderness? Oh, I don't know if we understood. God, right, led who? The children of Israel. 
Where? According to the commandment of the Lord. And he camped and refit him. But there was no water. Say no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people contended with Moses and said, give us some water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? Why do you even tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. Say thirsted. And the people complained. Say complained. Against Mohes. And they said, why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what should I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me, he says to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, go on before the people. Take with you some elders of the Israel, because I'm from south. Take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Oreb, or Horeb, and you shall strike that rock, and water will come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, all that God had asked him to do. Jump over to the book of John. Seven. John 7, verse 37. I'm there. You there? Come on, let's be there. John 7, 37. John 7, 37. On the last day, they're having a big uh, festival, and it was the eighth day. It was the last day of this big feast, this big celebration. That great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. For he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Most translations say out of his belly, which is the most literal translation. Out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Give it, that sounds weird. I know. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet, say not yet, nor yet, nor yet given, because Jesus, our master, was not yet glorified, particularly speaking of his death. Jesus says, the hour has come for me to be glorified in John chapter 12. And it wasn't acute glorification. He hung on a cross naked before the world, spat on him made fun of him, and they cast lots for his clothing. So when it says that Jesus had not yet been glorified, don't fool yourselves and think that that means that it was some cute ceremony. Jesus hung naked, as uncomfortable as you can be, as you can be before the world, 
said, God, I want to be glorified. Are you sure? You sure you want to be glorified? It's not the funnest process. Father, today we thank you so much for your mercies. Come on, thank him. God, thank you for your mercies, God, that you have shown us mercy. And God, that you've forgiven us of our sin and filled us with your spirit and offered us life and life eternal. And God, I just right now, I just ask, Lord, that you'd pour out on our hearts tonight. God, fill us anew and fill us afresh. God, satisfy our needs and our hungers and our yearnings. Lord, we thank you so much for what you're already teaching us and showing us. We thank you so much, God, that you've opened your heart and your arms wide to us, God, that we might partake and receive from all that you have from us. God, tonight I thank you for your anointing in this place. Oh, God, help me tonight to communicate and to to concisely articulate exactly what you're desiring to be said tonight, that we might leave here with greater understanding and revelation of who you are, of how you see us, and of how we ought to respond to you in view of all of your mercies. God, thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I had a very unique uh, experience. I don't recommend it. I Right after I got saved and gave my life to the Lord, or rather he gave his life to me, right after that, directly after that, I uh, started liking a girl. Started liking a girl. <laughs> Shoot. I got that girl now. And, uh, and I've said many things about my relationship with my wife and stories and stuff. And one of the things I haven't told you was a sad story. So I'm going to tell you a sad story tonight. Over and over and over again, she, she ends up living. <laughs> so don't get, don't get all weird and stuff. Wait, what happened? What happened to her? She's right there. For real, she's here. So don't be thinking like, like this isn't that story that's going to end sadly because we got a baby. Come on. So, uh, and I got a ring on my finger, of course. One's got to come before the other. <laughs> I'm preaching. Okay. Anyway. <clears throat> so, for real though, like, I was so excited. I was like, man, this is the girl of my dreams. Talking on the phone like, hey, baby. First time I talked to her, hey, I'm going to marry you. First time I talked to her, didn't I? The first thing I said? First thing I said. She's like, oh, my gosh. She says she didn't. She, th- she says she thought I was crazy, but that's just a lie. She, she loved me. She's all, she's all over me. But, but over time, I realized that right when I got saved, that God met a need in my heart. But I began to seek after this bodaciously, uh, uh, beautiful, uh, terrifically, magnificently hot woman. And as I was doing that, I was, I was one, attracted, of course, to uh, her beauty externally, but, of course, her heart and the most amazing, really, my best friend and the most amazing woman that I know. Solid rock, woman of God, has been her whole life, respect her tremendously. And as I was pursuing uh, her, I thought that it was just getting better and better. And I thought that everybody was for it. You know what I mean? Like, I thought everybody was like, yeah, he's such a good guy. He's amazing. You got yourself a gym. But I was mistaken. Everybody, including Pastor Josh Tanner, was saying, break up with that guy now, you know. And, uh, and so, and, and it, was, I mean, it was for the good. Like, what happened was she was realizing how immature and insecure and, uh, and broken, to say the least, that I was. Um, and so over time, she'd wanted to be with me, but at the same time, she knew that she was hindering me. Well, my birthday rolls around, March 19th. We've been together for about six months. 
birthday comes rolling around. Birthday is supposed to be like the best time of the year. You know what I'm saying? Like it's supposed to be, but not that year. <laughs> it was like March 19th was my birthday. I think March 20th, she took me out on a date. <laughs> and, uh, and I, once again, I'm going, man, you know, I intentionally would like take pictures of us and post it on people's lockers at school to show that this was my girl. No, I didn't do that. That's weird. But, what I, but I thought of it. I thought, man, if people just knew who I was with, you know. And so I was thinking that this was growing and progressing and this relationship was getting better and better. I was, I was considering as a junior talking about marriage with this girl. Bad juju. Don't do that. And as I was doing these things, all along she knew in her heart that God had told her to, to break it off with me. So my birthday rolls around. She takes me on a date. We have a good time. And she, 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 we, we pull up in a vehicle, and she says to me, <laughs> it's over. <laughs> exactly. No, she didn't say it like that. She just said, we can't do this anymore. I'm sorry. And I'm like, what? <laughs> can't do what? Like, go, go out to eat no more? Like, can't talk in English no more? Like, what, like, be human anymore? I'm like, are we going to kill ourselves like Romeo and Juliet? I mean, what are we doing? I mean, she's like, no, like, we can't do this anymore. (laughs) Whatever. You're so funny. Hey, I'll talk to you tomorrow. No, Gabriel, for real, I'm serious. No, we can't do this anymore. And I went, man. And then I just started bawling, started crying. I didn't see it coming, and, uh, and I'm thankful that it happened, but I did not see it coming. And believe it or not, the Lord actually led this amazing woman to actually do this, to bring me to a place of complete and utter helplessness and brokenness. In life, I became a master at finding things to satisfy the need in my heart. I got really good at it. And she knew that my heart was being satisfied by her. Just being around her, just the thought that she may have liked me, just the thought that I was with her. Those things, those yearnings in my heart were satisfied in her. And she knew all along but I was not supposed to find my satisfaction in a human being, especially her. And so she asked me to do something that I would stop talking to her and that I would stop calling her and that I would stop going out of my way to pursue her. And what it did is it led me to a place like in the book of Exodus of a wilderness. It led me to a place where I began to be completely desperate once again to find life's satisfaction. I said it last week, and I reiterate it this week. There is one thing that human beings all have in common, and that is that we are desperately and utterly thirsty. Not speaking necessarily of our physical thirst and our biological need for water, but of our emotional and our spiritual yearning to be satisfied and the longings and the desires and the needs 
of the human soul. We all, all of us, find ourselves uniquely but utterly helpless and hopeless. God has made us in such a way that He would be the only one that could fully satisfy the need of our hearts. He's created us in such a way that only He could satisfy that longing for life and for intimacy and for relationship and for companionship and for daughtership and sonship. He made us in such a way that we would live a life of complete desperate longing and hoping for life to be fulfilled in something outside of us and greater than us. And we as humans have gotten so good at finding temporary satisfaction and things that only satisfy temporarily. You know, you read this story. The Bible says God led them to the wilderness. That's crazy. So Gabriel, you're telling me that God wants to lead me to a place of desperation. Yes, that's exactly what I'm telling you. But in that place of desperation, we as human beings are really good at going to the furthest extent of finding a way to meet that need in our heart. Because we must, as the human body cannot be satisfied and fully quenched without drinking water, you cannot live biologically if you do not drink water. So your soul cannot live if you do not meet the needs of, its heart, of your heart. God has fashioned us in such a way that we would yearn for life and that we would yearn for the fullness of life. And only he would satisfy that yearning. You read this story, it's crazy. God led them there. And the Bible says in Exodus 17 verse 4, Moses says, what am I going to do with these people, Lord? They're about ready to stone me. It's amazing the human heart and how quickly we zealously will do anything to satisfy the need of our heart. And now in this scenario, these guys were, and people, million to two million people, were thirsting physically. You with me? Biologically, they had a need for water. But what they didn't know necessarily is that they had a yearning for spiritual water as well. And that is the type, that is the picture of this Old Testament. Is that just as much as they were thirsting biologically and physically, they also thirsted in their hearts. So you and I, as human beings, we desperately look for something to satisfy the need of our heart. Does that make sense? You with me? To satisfy a longing of the heart. I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. How good your life may be, you're thirsty. Don't ask God to make you thirsty for him. And don't ask God to make others necessarily thirsty for him. But really, ask God to help you see the thirst in your heart. And help you to understand what your heart is screaming out for. Your heart is desperately longing all day long, from the, more, from the moment you wake up to the time you go to bed, you are, you are fashioned to find life. And just as Moses with these people is like, well, what the heck? So I ask you a question tonight. Where, where, what, is your, what is your spring? 
What is your well? What the heck are you talking about? Where do you go to find life? You know, Matthew came up here earlier and mentioned that the devil wants to give us things to help satisfy something. You know what I'm talking about? The devil wants to offer us things that will satisfy, satisfy a need for temporarily. He's really good at that. Things that seem really good, and that most of the time they are good, but they're not good if our need hasn't been met in God. I'm going to say that again. They are good. Most of them are good. And I will define which ones aren't good. But most of them are good as long as our need has been met in the Lord. What is it for you? Is it sports? Is it a sport that you play? Gabriel, are you going to tell me that sports are bad? I just said, no, sports are not bad. But if sports becomes a way to satisfy a need in your heart that only God can satisfy, yes, at that time and that moment, sports becomes an idol in your life. Whether it be hockey, whether it be baseball, whether it be crow K, whether it be soccer, whether it be baseball, whether it be twiddling your thumbs, is it a sport? Is it entertainment? Is it watching television? Is it watching movies? Do you not find life unless every Friday night you go to the movies? What is your source of motivation? What is your source of inspiration? What is your source of zeal and passion and excitement and happiness? What is your source? What do you, what do you look forward to? What do you look forward to? Because, and I'm not saying that the, the, the yearning in your heart to look forward to something is necessarily wrong. No, that yearning is good in and of itself, but that which you fill it with becomes an idol in your life if it isn't the Lord. The Bible says they want to stone Paul or Moses, they were going to stone the dude. It, it communicates how desperate we are. You with me? What is it? What is it? Is it a boyfriend? Oh, he's, he always talks about that. Yeah, I am talking about that. Because the truth is, the truth. One, yes, God does desire that we would find a mate that we would live with for the rest of our life, as long, unless you're called to celibacy. Bless your heart if you are. Pray for you later. Bless him, Lord. But if you're not, which most all of us probably aren't. And I say that carefully because I don't know for sure. God does desire for marriage and for guy and girl, not girl and girl or guy and guy. He said Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. I love, I love I'm not in any way condemning homosexuals. I love people. I'm called to love every person. The Bible does not say Adam and Steve. Beside the point, God does desire that we would get married with somebody of the opposite sex. And that's a good thing, but it's a good thing if it's in the right time. And it's a good thing if your heart has been met in the Lord. For if your heart has not been met and your needs have not been met in the Lord, that person only becomes to you a curse. Gabriel, what are you talking about? I'm telling you that they will never and can never satisfy the longing of your heart. And they will only become an idol when they fail. You feel horrible and they don't meet the need that your day sucks. Excuse my language, but I'm just saying what it really is. Is it a guy? Is it a girl? Is it a friend? Maybe he's the same sex or she's the same sex that you have to hear from. 
Is it the praises of man that you look for and that you yearn for, for somebody to say something nice about you? Let me reiterate, I'm saying that that desire for somebody to say something nice about you is not necessarily wrong, for God desires to say something nice about you, and God has said something nice about you. But if you're trying to find that satisfaction in somebody else, and that somebody else becomes a curse to you. It's kind of like drinking Gatorade. I hate Gatorade. Gatorade never really helps. You drink it, and you just want to keep drinking it. And then your stomach starts hurting because you drank it so fast. And then you're like, dang. And then eventually you just go get some water. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Like, it's kind of like Gatorade. It may temporarily, for one millisecond, make you go, oh. But the moment it goes down your throat, all you want is more. And you become addicted to the stuff. That's why they start selling in packs of 12, not just by one anymore. You, just, you walk up there and say, hey, can I get 26 Gatorades? Thanks. For what? I got a basketball game tonight. Oh, so this is for like a tournament? No, no, one game, I need 28. Why? Because, because it just sucks. It's kind of like, it's kind of like a... Uh, you know, bless this stuff. I just got to make a statement. <laughs> Don't judge me. But I like this Burt's Beeswax, and I'm going to offend some of you tonight. I'm going to offend some of you. But I just got to say it. Cameron, I love you, bro, and I'm, th- I'm thanking that you led me to get this. But you know what? I'm just a chapstick classic guy. Me, bro? I, I'm, you know, I'm thankful for Burt's Bees, but Burt's Bees just doesn't cut the trees. I don't know. <laughs> Burt's Bees just doesn't. Uh, cut the cheese. <laughs> no, I don't know. But, but for real, uh, chapstick. Anybody got just a normal chapstick tonight? You just got chapstick classic right there. Rashad, you with me, brother? See, that stuff you put on the morning all day. Your lips are perky and nice and just, they just get bigger. They just get bigger and just look better. You know what I'm saying? So I have little lips. They don't look good. I'm not saying that. Stop being so sensitive. Okay. But it's kind of like that. You put it on and it just helps for a moment. Bless Burt's Bees. I'm going to use you until you're done because I've bought you for three bucks. Gosh, dang. Three bucks for that thing. The devil. I'm just kidding. <clears throat> I'm just kidding. No, actually, it actually feels good, but it only, like seriously, in the past hour, I've put this stuff on like 30 times, and my lips are chapped right now. It's telling you. They're like natural organic. And I'm like, yeah, really? I don't care right now. What is it for you? What is it for you, John? John 7. Crazy, crazy situation, crazy story, crazy moment. Crazy in the sense that it's very loud. Can I set the stage for you? Can I set the stage for John 7, 37? Can I do that? Okay, it's going to take me a couple minutes, but i got to set the stage for us to be able to move forward. John 7, 37, we pick up in the middle of a feast. Gabriel, what the heck's a feast? I don't, I'm not a Jew. Okay, a feast was pretty much a big celebration for the Lord. And this was the third feast that happened middle of October. Man, why are you all laughing so much? What's going on around here? My goodness. Listen to me. Turn that phone off. Just kidding. Are you, are you with me? No, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Just don't answer. That'd be weird. Hey, how are you? My phone's gone off many times in the middle of a movie and stuff. You feel like, you feel like the biggest moron, but you don't, you're not a moron. Okay, you're with me. Listen, John 7, 37, crazy story. Middle of this whole thing, it's 
loud. It's exciting. People are running around, dancing, doing crazy things, taking palm trees, waving them at people. It's a feast. It's the third feast. It's the biggest feast. They call it the great feast. They called it the feast because it was the best one. And in these feasts, it was actually one of the names they called it was Feast of the Booths. Booth was simply like a little tent or a house that people would make their home in for a good week. Feast of the Booth. Say Booth with me. Booth. So what this really looked like is people from about 15 miles in diameter all around Jerusalem would come together. All the Jews would come together and they would build these booths. They would build these homes. Little small temporary homes. And they were made from branches and they were made from palm trees. Just the branches and the leaves. You with me? So they stick these, they put them all together, and people would live temporarily in the middle of Jerusalem. They put their tents in the middle of the streets, in the middle of gardens, in the middle of the temple. So if you show up during this time, in this day when Jesus is here, there's, there's these booths or these little tents that are set up everywhere. And during this time, they would make sure, they would make sure that there was when they would put the thatching, which would be the covering, the, the, the roof on the house, they would make sure that there's just enough opening so that they could see the stars at night. And they'd make sure there's just enough opening so they could see the sun during the day. And the booths represented what their time was like in the books of Exodus chapter 17 when they were walking through the wilderness. You with me? Because when they were walking through the wilderness, they had to set up tents. They didn't have really nice, fine homes. All they had was these booths. They would take down trees and branches and stuff, and they'd create this tents. So when they came to this time and the feast, they would all be reminded of what happened in the wilderness where God led them through the wilderness. What I'm saying is very important. Stay with me. And so they would show up. They would set up their booths, and they would stay in there, their whole family. And then during the week, they would have all these celebrations. They'd go to the temple and have all these big celebrations. And on this last day of this feast was the day that primarily gave us a picture of what happened in Exodus chapter 17, where God gave water to those who thirsted in the wilderness. So what it looked like was all these people had primarily the worship leaders, you can call them that, had all these palm leaves, and they would wave them and wave them and wave them, and they would dance and they would sing Thousands of people are doing this. It's very loud. It's very exciting. It's a very emotional time. They're reminded of what God did in those times. It was a, it was a historical significance because of the boost that they had. But then it was also a time to remember that God provided for them with water. So it was an agricultural significance. In, in other words, they would bring all their wine and grapes and fruits and all the things that they'd had and they'd bring it together and offer something up to the Lord. It was a time to say, God, I was in the midst of the wilderness and I had a little tent and you provided for us. And thirdly, what this time was, was to ask God to continue to provide for them. You with me? Three primarily reasons they would have this. Primarily one, to remind them of their desperate need for God in the wilderness. Number two, God met them in their desperate need in the wilderness. And thirdly, that they would continue to ask God to fill them up and to rain down from heaven. Because if he stopped, 
then they would be left again like in the wilderness. So on this last day, it says, of the great day of the feast, in this particular moment, particular moment, they had these waves, they had these fans and they're waving them. And the priest, the high priest, goes down to the pool of Siloam, which was a pool down in Jerusalem, and he would take a two-pint pitcher and he'd fill it up with water. And he'd walk back up the hill to go back into Jerusalem through the gate of water. All about water. He walks in and he would take the water as people were singing. Isaiah 12, verse 3. And they would sing this song that with joy we will drink water from the wells of salvation. They're singing songs. They're singing, Lord, we're, we're going to drink waters from your river and from your well. And you've provided for us eternally and forever. And they're thanking him and they're praising him. They're singing other songs from the book of Isaiah and the book of Psalms. And thanking God that he's what he has done and what he is continuing to do. And it's just, once again, big ceremony and the guy's pouring out the water and they're singing this song and the Bible says that Jesus in the midst of this stood up and he cried out with a loud voice and he said if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink he who believes in me as the scripture has said out of his belly will flow rivers of living water in the midst of this whole time Jesus stands up and in essence says I and the source of spiritual water for your life. They understood this. That's why the next verse, in verse 40, it says, this guy's the prophet? Because in Exodus chapter 18, sorry, no, Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses says, there's going to come a prophet like me. How is he like me? Follow me as much as you can. Context is important. How is he like me? How is he like Moses? Because Moses gave water to the children of Israel. And so Jesus was a prophet. He was the one who offered water to the children who were in the wilderness. So when Jesus stands up, people knew what he was saying. That's why immediately they wanted to kill him. Because what Jesus was saying was that if you're thirsty, if you're desperate, if your soul longs, as you are in the wilderness... And you physically and biologically need a water. I am the one who will give you drink that will satisfy the need of your heart. The very next thing he says is, if you believe in me, if you believe in me, rivers, rivers, not just a cup of water, but rivers of living water will flow from your belly. Gabriel, okay, what does that mean? Belly, that's weird. And Jewish thinking, Jewish understanding, belly was the deepest emotional part of your body. And so when Jesus says this, what Jesus is ultimately saying, he's saying, I am going to quench the thirst of your greatest longings and desires and yearnings and hopes. And dreams. I'm that one. I can do that. You, you have to imagine. I mean, it probably got quiet. It probably stopped singing. Probably looked at this guy like, what the heck? People began to ask, is this, is this the dude? No, he came from Galilee. They don't come from Galilee. They have to come from Bethlehem. And they're asking all these questions because he was saying, 
I'm the one. But then in verse 39 it says, but this hadn't yet been fulfilled. Jesus, Jesus hadn't yet given them spiritual water yet. He hadn't done it yet. So it's like, this is where Jesus is saying, I promise to satisfy the needs of your heart. I satisfy I, I, I promise. I promise to satisfy every longing and desire that you have. But he opens up as he screams. He says, if anyone thirsts, if anyone thirsts, remember we all have in common one thing. We all thirst. Was Jesus saying that only some people thirst? No. He was saying to those of you who admit that they're thirsty, to those of you who admit that you're running to so many other things and it's not satisfying, to those of you who come to a place where you desperately cry out and say, yes, Lord, I am that person and I am thirsty. A couple of chapters later, a few moments later, some time later, I don't know, I think it was about a year or so, John chapter 19, Jesus hanging on a cross. Follow me. I'm about done. Give me about five minutes. Give me about five minutes. I'm about done. I'll land this plane and we'll, we'll move on for the night. Jesus is hanging on a cross. John chapter 19, verse 28. And at this point in time, you have to understand what's happening here. Jesus is hanging on this cross. And at this point in time, all of the anger and the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus because all of the sin of the world, past, present, and future, all was put on Jesus Christ so that God would no longer look to man's sin. So God put it all on Jesus. In that same moment, God put all of his anger and wrath on Jesus. In this very moment, Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And immediately after, John 19, verse 28, Jesus hanging on a cross, bleeding, naked, he says, I thirst. Jesus says, I thirst. Why was Jesus thirsty? For the first time ever, Jesus, our Lord, had a thirst for spiritual water. What does that mean? That means that for the first time ever, Jesus actually had a yearning that wasn't met. In his heart. Now, yes, there was part of this was physical thirst. But what Jesus was saying was that for the first time he had desired that a thirst in his heart needed to be quenched. First time. First time. Why did that never happen? Because he had always had a perfect and a perfect relationship with God, and God always, his father always met his need. And for the first time, the Bible says. The father turns his face away from Jesus, and Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? And then immediately he says, I thirst. He's desperate. He's thirsty. He's yearning. He's longing. The Bible says a soldier, a soldier gets excited. He's like, man, I need to help him out. He runs over, and he grabs a sponge. He dips it in sour wine, or we could translate it today. It was pretty much like vinegar. He dips it in vinegar, puts it on a hyssop branch, and brings it up to Jesus' mouth. But you must understand this was no clean sponge. For in those days, in public restrooms, when people would sit down to poop, to relieve themselves on stones with holes in them, they didn't wipe their rear ends, and they realized people started getting infections, diseases. Context. 
So these poor people would hire themselves to stand in the bathroom, wait until they're done, they'd take a sponge and they'd wipe their rear end. That's what sponges were used for, those, for in those days. So as we're thinking, this guy's trying to help Jesus out. Sure he was, but at the same time he was cursing him. Those sponges carried actual disease. They stopped using that sponge deal after that because they realized they started getting worse diseases on their butts because they started sharing germs with each other. Nasty. True story. So though this guy was trying to help Jesus out with his sponge, you can laugh if you want. Though Jesus was trying to help, this dude was trying to help Jesus out with his sponge. He was trying to. It just became a curse to him. Listen, 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 listen. Listen. You listen? Okay. In the depth and the deepest part of your heart that longs and thirsts for God, all man can offer you is a dirty sponge with vinegar that doesn't bless you. It becomes a curse to you. Why did Jesus drink that? Jesus drank that curse so you don't have to. And he embraced that dirty sponge and he drank that vinegar that did not quench his thirst so that you would not have to run to other sources, so that you would not have to run to man or man-made images to satisfy the longing of your heart. Jesus thirsted and he died with an unquenched heart because God did not meet him. Like he said, he turned his face from him. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus drank the drink so you don't have to drink a drink that doesn't satisfy but only curses you. A few minutes later, the Bible says he dies. He gives up his spirit. They took a spear because he was already dead. And they usually broke the legs to make sure that they would die. Long story, pretty much they took the spear and they stabbed Jesus right here in the side. Right below his heart. And around our hearts right now, you have a sac. It's a membrane. And around it, or within that membrane, is water. It's protecting and guarding your heart. Right now. And so when somebody would die, if you stab them in the side, blood would not pour out. But water would. The only reason that blood and water would pour out, this is important. The only reason why blood and water would pour out is if his heart had somehow bled into his membrane of water. So when the Bible says that they stabbed him in the side, just a few verses later in John chapter 19, and blood and water pour out, what the Bible is telling us is that some way, somehow, water was mixed with blood in this membrane. In other words, what they would say that biologically, Jesus died from a ruptured heart because his heart exploded and bled into his water membrane. And when they stabbed him, the water should have come out. But what came out was blood as well, telling us that Jesus died from a heart that was overwhelmed and was unquenched and it exploded inside of him. So when they stabbed him in the side, 
Both blood and water poured out. What's blood? Blood typifies for us the blood of Christ that cleanses us of our sin. Jesus' broken heart heals you and forgives you of your sin. And not only does his broken heart do that, but that water is poured out for you to drink from. For as Jesus says, I am that rock that you can come drink from. As Moses struck that rock and water poured out, so Jesus hanging on a cross was stabbed in the side and blood to forgive our sins was poured out and water was poured out to, to, to satisfy and to quench your thirsty heart. To satisfy your thirsty heart. So as Jesus is standing in the midst of this humongous ceremony, he's saying, I can satisfy the needs of your heart. What he was saying was that one day my heart can explode, and out of that will flow a river of blood that will forgive you and water that will satisfy the yearnings and the desires of your heart. So you gotta know, you got to know this. you got to know this. you got to know this. If, if you're drinking vinegar, because you're really thirsty and you can't find God and you're yearning desperately and you're longing desperately to try to somehow quench that need in your heart. And so you run to a man, you run to a woman, you run to a thing, you run to a man-made thing to satisfy you. It's not making you any better, it's just making you worse. And it's not nothing against, I'll give you an example. If I really, 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 really wanted to hear somebody tell me that I did a really good job preaching or I did a really good job in a meeting or I did a really good job cooking pancakes, what my heart is saying is that I desperately want somebody to tell me that I'm good enough. That's what my heart says. And that is a good desire. Can, I say, can we say amen? You have a desire to be good enough. You have a desire to be liked. You have a desire to be wanted. You have a desire to be loved. Those are good desires. That's the thirst of your heart. You with me? That's how your heart thirsts. It longs to be loved and to be needed and to be wanted, to be accepted. It longs for that. But if I go to my brother Cameron and say, hey, man, so what would you think about, you know, do, you know am, I, am I good, man? I mean, what? And I may not even say all those things. I might just say, hey, so uh, what's going on, dude? I might just come around him. Tell, tell me what you think about me. And he'll say, dude, you know, you're so awesome, bro, and, and this and this and this. I'm just like, oh, I feel so much better. Oh, man, that was good. And I go to sleep. Next day I wake up. I just want to, where's Cameron at? Cameron, Cameron said that about me. It made me feel really, really good. Or maybe it's a video game that you go play. Maybe it's a sport you go play. Maybe it's your boyfriend or girlfriend that you have to hear from every single day to make you feel good about yourself. Once again, I'm not saying that Cameron saying it to me is bad. In, in and of himself, he was doing what that soldier was doing. He was trying to help Jesus out. But if that thirst is not met in Jesus, then what man can offer you is only a curse. I'm telling you something that's really important. You're really desperate. You're really desperate. And you're really, really good at meeting that need in your heart. You're really good at it. Maybe it is drugs. Maybe it is pornography. and Maybe it is rage and anger. Maybe you're a good Christian. And for you, it's trying to be a really good person so people can say something really, really good about you. 
and all these things. There's so many more. I could probably write a list of a thousand different things. And you have to find out what it is that you run to and what is your idol in your life that you find life in and what are the many things that you go to. But more than anything, I want you to understand this tonight. That those not only not quench your thirst, but they make you more hungry and thirsty and they don't help you out. And secondly, get back in your booth. What I mean by that is this. In our booth, in that tent that we made, it's that place of brokenness. It's that place of vulnerability. It's that place of uncomfortableness. It's going back to that place where in the wilderness, we're desperately longing and yearning for God to help us out. What I'm saying is, (laughs) all that, which I could have said it without going to any of that, but have to be obedient to what the Lord has led us to teach from. What I'm saying is this, scream out to God, cry out to God, sing out to God on a daily basis in your weakness, in your weakness. You know, it's really sad, we'll leave here tonight and most of you will say you're already there. And you'll live the rest of your life probably unless God intervenes, which he will and likes to. And try to remind you to be honest with where you really are. Every single one of you in here, and I don't, I don't want to minimize what I just said. Every single one of you in here is really, really desperate and really, really needy. As I am really, really desperate and really, really needy to be wanted, to be liked, to be loved. And if you wake up in the morning, or you walk to school during the day, and you see somebody or something that wants to meet a need in your heart, I encourage you to turn from that idol, to turn from that thing. And stay in that place of desperation. Does that make sense? Stay in that place of desperation. Stay in that place of want. You know, what's, you know what's crazy? I'm going to say this last thing, and then we're going to move on. I'm going to say this last thing, and I, I just, except for most of you, this, this, you won't think I'm, I'm speaking heresy, but this is probably the truest thing I've said all night, because <laughs> everything else wasn't true. God really doesn't really, really want to satisfy you on earth yet. If you feel desperate, that's exactly where God wants you to be. But he wants you to cry out to him. Proverbs chapter 30. This guy says something very unique. And this is my last thing as we close tonight. He says, God, two things I require of you. One, give me poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that has been allotted to me. He says, for, I, for if I become too full, I may say, who is the Lord? And if I become too poor, I may steal and profane the name of my God. Give me neither poverty nor riches. For if I'm too rich and too full and too satisfied on earth, I'll never go back to you, Lord. But if I'm too poor and you don't give me anything, I'm going to find something to satisfy the need of my heart. I'll steal if I have to. I'll kill if I have to. 
because you've made me in such a way that I desperately long for you to fill my heart up. Give me neither poverty nor riches. You know God doesn't give you neither poverty nor does he give you riches. I'm speaking emotionally now. What I'm saying is this. You will not, and I truly declare this, and you may not agree with me, study your word, it's the truth. You will not be fully, completely satisfied on earth. Because if you were, you would not run back to the one who satisfied you because your heart is wicked. But one day, the Bible says in 1 John 3, that we will see him and we will become like him. And that all of our thirsts and quenches will be forever met eternally. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, that the Holy Spirit that has been given to us, that has been poured out into us, is a guarantee. He is a down payment of what is to come. In other words, you don't have all that God has for you yet. He leaves you hanging a little bit so that you will want him every day, all day. So when you leave here, I'm not telling you that you're going to leave here going, oh, man, I've been made perfect and I don't want anything ever again. No, you're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to yearn and you're going to long and you're going to thirst for God because he wants you in that place of desperation. He wants you in that place of the wilderness. He wants you in that place where you don't have anything but him. He wants you there. But what we do, we do it so good, we find things. We find people to give us vinegar to quench a thirst. It doesn't quench. It just makes us worse. You with me? I'm telling you this. I'm telling you this. Stay in that place of utter dependence and hopelessness in God. That you bear your heart and your weaknesses and your struggles with people. And that you sing songs to the Lord out of your desperation. And he'll give you enough. He'll say, hey, here's the food. I'm going to feed you with the food that I've already given you. And one day, my son, one day, my daughter, you will sit with me and you'll never, ever, ever thirst again. But as for now, I'm giving you just enough to get you by. For as Paul says, he quotes Jesus Christ. He says, my grace is sufficient. Paul's like, Lord, I need your help right now. He goes, I know, but I've given you just enough to get you by. See, but what happens is we get some from the Lord, we go home, we're like, man, I just don't feel like I've had enough. Yes, that yearning and longing in your heart is so that you continue to seek him day in, day out, nonstop. You with me? Does that make sense? What I'm telling you is get back in your booth. Get back in that place of brokenness and go, Lord, I'm still thirsty. I'm telling you I'm going to go to bed tonight. I'm going to tell the Lord again, God, I had a great time tonight, but I still want you. And I'll never stop wanting you. I don't want you to give me riches. And don't give me poverty, Lord. I want to stay in this place of utter dependence because if you give me too much, Lord, I may turn from you and say, who is the Lord? I've already got everything I need. And if you don't give me enough, I might run to this or to that or to that or to that. So, Lord, just give me enough today. But keep me in that place of desperation, that place of brokenness. For in my weakness, I am made strong. And in my brokenness, I sense and I receive and I embrace his life.